This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Karma and koans. It is your karma that ran over your dogma. This is not a joke. Continuing with the drive time focus from the last segment is in keeping with the current thrust of unmind. Each segment consists of a dissertation on issues typical of the USA and coping with the international scope of global citizenship. Such concerns as overconsumption and the cult of the individual plus lingering hangovers from 19th and 20th century ideas regarding right speech, action, and livelihood, the right conduct side of the Noble Eightfold Path, recur throughout as themes. The halo effect of right meditation proves to be our saving grace in meeting and managing to maintain a genuine Zen practice in the face of daily life in a chaotic world. I would like to key off of one of our paramitas, or perfecting practices, the very first one concerning dana, or generosity. I suggest that you might practice generosity with yourself while driving in traffic, which may strike you as an odd concept But if you can be truly generous with yourself, it is much easier to be generous with others. According to my limited understanding of classical Buddhism, and likely the proto-Hinduism that preceded Buddhism, karmic consequences of our actions may be positive, negative, and even neutral. But there will be consequences regardless. The judgment call as to whether a consequence may be regarded as positive or negative is based upon human perception and desire. Certain consequences and outcomes we want to happen. Others we want to avoid like the plague. Incidentally, the first plague of history turns out to be an unintended consequence of human activity. It was reputedly transmitted by commuters traveling along the Silk Road with a generous assist from our rat cousins and their fleas. Nowadays, the greatest threat of pandemics is the enormous scope of human travel by land, sea, and especially by air. Every human being is, for the first time in history, one plane ride away from every other human being on the planet. That any karmic consequence may be neutral, rather than necessarily positive or negative, may be a new idea to you. As an instance, if we continue breathing for the next five minutes, we are more likely to continue living And if we stop breathing for the next five minutes, then we will likely die. Whether this is a positive or negative consequence is, again, a judgment call. 
In most cases, life is preferable to death, but there are exceptions to the rule, which has become more of an issue with the life-extending technology available in modern medicine. The relatively neutral consequence is simply that life goes on as long as we are breathing, but it may be in a vegetative state. From a general social perspective, life going on and increased longevity is considered a positive consequence, considering the alternative. In that sense, we are all consumers of life. So the more, the better. From the perspective of Buddhism, we might say that longevity is desirable, mainly in that living longer allows us more time, more opportunity to awaken to the truth. This spiritual awakening is the highest value in Buddhism and Zen. Buddha means the fully awakened one. A consequence of Buddha's life's work is that we all have now been enabled to become aware of this truth or dharma. For example, dukkha, a Sanskrit word usually translated as suffering, points to the unsatisfactory nature of this existence, encapsulated as aging, sickness, and death. This is the quagmire into which all sentient beings are born and find themselves enmeshed. The wealthiest person in the world cannot turn back the clock Despite the hopeful claims of the medical and therapeutic professions, the cosmetics industry, plastic surgeons, etc., we see caricatures of this aspiration on a daily basis. For instance, when certain Botox and facelift icons appear on television, or we see snapshots of the passing pageantry of life in Los Angeles and Manhattan where women, in particular, as well as men, well into their 50s, 60s, and older, strive to age gracefully by maintaining the outer appearance of an ingenue or a dashing heartthrob. No amount of wealth can prevent some form of illness in the final stages of life, particularly when one's lifestyle itself amounts to a cocktail of causes that accelerate the deterioration of body and mind, such as overeating, smoking, taking recreational and diet drugs, and drinking alcohol to excess. The lifestyles of the rich and famous are often notorious for this kind of self-destructive dissolution, if you believe the press which tends to exaggerate. Science fiction, to the contrary, no amount of wealth can forestall forever the death of this body and mind, in spite of earnest life-extending efforts in geriatric medicine and cryogenics. The sometimes frantic activities surrounding preservation of life, as witnessed in the Terry Schiavo case, for example, betray a profound fear of death and dying. This fear naturally emerges as a fear of aging, the evidence provided by visible, gradual, long-term symptoms 
we see in the mirror each day. Of course, we do what we can, but it is futile to postpone the inevitable. An old Chinese poem includes the line, Save the body, it is the fruit of many lives. But we cannot save it in the sense of preserving it forever. Other than as a mummy, which historically has been the fate of some Zen ancestors, as well as Egyptian royalty. We who follow Zen do not arrogantly dismiss such fears as baseless, nor do we pretend that Zen practice will allow us to go quietly into that dark night. Though Zen's history is replete with stories of masters dying with great dignity and composure, Zen is not overly optimistic in this regard. It does not present a Pollyannish view of existence, promising a heavenly rose garden after death. Nor is Zen overly pessimistic. We don't bemoan the fact that this existence is intrinsically of the nature of suffering, or impermanence, imperfection, and insubstantiality. We don't insist that the natural process of aging, sickness, and death is necessarily a negative consequence of existence. It is simply a consequence of existence. And thus, our physical fate falls into the neutral category of karmic consequences. In this way, Zen is simply realistic about the causes and conditions that we all face in life. Its teachings do not suggest, pretend, or imagine that there could be some other outcome. In Zen, coming to this clarity regarding karma is regarded as a kind of spiritual maturity. We can usefully regard these causes and conditions, the givens of the equations of life, as natural koans, illogical riddles. Koans are not to be solved in the sense of finding a logical answer, as I get it. I understand that they are used as a central part of training in the Rinzai sect. In Soto Zen, we don't make programmatic use of the 1700 or so classic koans in the record, but instead we recognize the reality in which we find ourselves, the very space-time continuum, to borrow Einstein's phrase, in which we are sitting at the moment, whether in the zendo or in the driver's seat, as our immediate koan. This reality in front of your face is the primordial koan. An ancient Chinese poem reminds us, Emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. Emptiness is used here to name the ideal of Buddhism and Zen. Clarity of insight into the dynamic reality of existence. It does not indicate the void as the ultimate reality set against our normal perception of everyday reality as being an illusion. 
This is not something we recommend obsessing over at full speed or in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. But this infinite universe standing always before our eyes is the real koan, the koan of everyday existence. It is the meaning of everyday life that we have to penetrate, whether we realize it or not. There is no choice in the matter. Penetrating to the depths of it may result in realizing that, quote, every day is a happy day, every day is a good day, another old Zen expression. We should add, regardless, regardless of circumstance, that is. Most of our conventional cultural memes as prescriptions for happiness, getting your go-to-hell money, retiring to a life of travel and playing golf, and so on, can be seen in this context as avoidance techniques, evasive maneuvers. This kind of goal orientation amounts to a kind of self-indulgent cognitive therapy in which we attempt to replace unpleasant thoughts of failure, indebtedness, and so on, with pleasant ones in which we attempt to conjure up a comfortable fantasy in place of our dissatisfactory reality. This is a natural tendency and actively promoted by the culture, particularly in the West. So we should not beat ourselves up too badly over the fact that we have fallen for this societal scam. Most highly touted concepts of happiness are designed and intended as marketing devices to sell us products and services as well as alternative lifestyles. Those that most closely match the archetypal American dream come with the highest price tag. But the choices we have are not limited to only those that we think we can afford within an economic paradigm. Zen is sometimes considered not immoral, but amoral, because it recognizes that we have complete free will at all times and in every particular situation. That is, as long as we are willing to face the consequences, whether negative, positive, neutral, and unintended, of whatever actions we take. For example, many people are out of work, looking for a job, or changing jobs. The world economy is forcing a re-evaluation of the definition of a job as paid employment provided by someone else. A job includes a place of work to which one goes every day, commuting to the office or factory. Checking in or punching a time clock under the watchful eye of management, and after putting in a sufficient effort for the day, returning to the comforts of home. These and other outdated cultural means, customs and habits, can affect our view of reality in subconscious, even insidious ways. But in our meditation practice, we are encouraged by Master Dogen, founder of Soto Zen in 13th century Japan, to stop the ordinary functions of the mind, 
setting aside all thoughts of good and evil, right or wrong. It is necessary to point out that this instruction or advice is intended to be followed mainly while we are on the cushion. When we leave the cushion and go into daily life, get into the car and enter onto the expressway, we are constantly faced with choices of good and evil, right and wrong. We must make judgments regarding the behavior of others, which we cannot ignore beyond a certain point, as well as concerning our own behavior. Once again, in all of these instances, Zen is neither overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. It is simply realistic. So this aspirational idea that if we could somehow set aside all considerations of good and evil, right and wrong, that we can live blissfully unaware of all the obvious good and evil, right and wrong in the world, and thus be happy, is tempered by the pragmatic nature of our Zen practice. Even when we sit on the cushion, we cannot completely avoid suffering in the sense of the good and evil influences in our lives and the right and wrong choices that we have made and that we are forced to make on a daily basis. The point is that it is our choice and the consequences that flow naturally from the choice, from the action or lack of action that we take, are also ours, whether karmic or not. Some old wise man said, through change, consume change. Change is all there is. But we try to maintain status quo out of fear of losing control. It is already out of our control. As Ambrose Bierce pointed out in the Devil's Dictionary, what we call an accident is, paraphrasing widely, actually the inevitable result of immutable physical law. So if you become distracted by this podcast and run into the car in front of you, that so-called accident is the inevitable result of the immutable laws of physics as well as of the choices you made that led to it. And while you might have prevented it, if you did not prevent it, still, it was no accident. Your driving in traffic is no accident, nor is listening to my podcast. So be careful out there. If you consider that the driver of that vehicle that just recklessly cut in front of you may be someone you know and like, who is just under a lot more stress than you are at the moment, it may make it easier to respond to the situation in an appropriate manner without adding the overlay of anger and condemnation that we reserve for strangers. It may also make you safer in the long run. Once you are safely ensconced back on your cushion, you might remember what it was like when you were on the commute and come to appreciate your zazen even more.
Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.